Welcome to Martha Runs the World, a podcast with a new take on running, fitness, and all things health-oriented. I'm Martha Hughes, your host, and each week I present a new topic that is of interest to all runners. Why, hi, and welcome to episode 196 of Martha Runs the World. My guest today is Sabrina Rogers. She titles herself as the ultimate anti-diet coach, and you'll see why. She is an extraordinary person. We talk about emotional eating and why it's not a bad thing. Yes, I'm going to repeat that. Emotional eating is not a bad thing. She's a licensed mental health counselor. She's an expert in intuitive eating, body image expert also, and she's a recovering perfectionist. She has an excellent podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear her. So here is Sabrina Rogers. Will you welcome to the show Sabrina Rogers? She's a licensed medical health counselor, intuitive eating and body expert, and she has this terrific show called Emotional Eating Therapist Show. It's a podcast, I should say. Uh, hi, Sabrina. Thank you for coming on the show. How are you? Yeah, Martha, thank you so much for bringing me on. I am doing fabulous this morning. Excellent. That's very, very good to hear. I wanted to start with asking you when you realized that you yourself had an eating eating disorder. Oh, gosh. That's like big question right yeah, off the I, bat. I, I, sometimes wow. I do that. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I know, I should have warned you. Sorry. Uh, no, 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 like, no. It's good. I like to get the big stuff out of the way so that we have set the stage and know what's going on. Right. So I was 12 when I went on my first diet. I didn't realize then that what I was doing was setting myself up for disordered eating. And then I went, you know, for the next probably 20 some odd years having this disordered relationship with food and just thinking it was normal because that's what society was telling me to do. Um, even though I didn't have necessarily a larger body in my mind, I thought I did. So I had a lot of body dysmorphia of thinking that I looked a very different way than what I actually did. I was, it wasn't until after my son was born and I was probably, Ooh, 30-ish, 30, somewhere between 30 and 32, where I started to look at all of these behaviors of eating large amounts of food in secret and then trying to hide the evidence of the pizza boxes in the recycling bin so my husband didn't see them when he got home. And then severe restriction to the point of almost malnourishment sometimes when I wasn't binging, and then the intense, vigorous, like, hours several times a day of exercise, both cardio and strength training. And I remember thinking, man, I am working so freaking hard, and I am so miserable. What is going on here? And I stepped back from it, and I kind of took myself out of the situation, looked at it like, okay, if I was working with a woman who's experiencing these same things, what would I say as a counselor, as a coach? And when I took myself out of the equation, I was like, oh, wow, I uh, I have an eating disorder, like bad. 
Yeah. And then I was like, okay, moving on. What do we do about it? Because, you know, very much type A, overachiever, identify the problem and then get to work on it. So, yeah, it was probably less than 10 years ago that I finally realized, oh, this is a thing. Well, at least you were able to understand that it was, I mean, the in time. Yeah, it took a while for me to put all the pieces <laughs> together and see what was going on. But then it was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to identify stuff within ourselves. You, you know, age 12, 12, 13 is around the time that a lot of uh, w- women and guys, too, start their journey down disordered eating i would think it is that's also around the time that we start going through puberty and so our bodies change because they're supposed to change and sometimes that means that we put on a little weight because our hormones are changing and they're getting ready to make all the reproductive organs function the way they should and sometimes that takes a little bit more fat deposits on your body to happen And then generally, if we just let the body do what the body's going to do, things even out as to where the body wants to be. But when we start to try to control by dieting, manipulating food, uh, it really messes with our body and our bodies don't like that. Yeah, it's true. You know, we're, we're, we're still kids, really. I mean, we kind of embarrassed by how we look. And how our bodies are, because we're not used to it. And even if, you know, an adult can say, well, you know, my mother was very honest about this stuff. Well, this is what you're going to be doing. And this is how it's going to be happening. And I said, you're kidding, right? (laughs) No, really? No, can I I opt out of that? Exactly. So I wasn't used to that. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And then you get all the peer pressure and all that stuff from from kids and everything like that. It's it's, it's pretty And middle school is just this really (sighs) awkward period for everyone. Everybody, like staff, teachers, admin at the middle school, it's just a rough time for everybody involved. It's horrible. I hate it. I hate it. My middle school is awful years. Awful, awful. (laughs) My son's in sixth grade, so I'm actively going through it again. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Poor thing. So you overcame it by understanding that you had it. That's a big step. Yeah. A lot of it was this. I had to really look at what I thought was a problem with emotional eating. Mm-hmm. A lot of my binging occurred both because I was severely restricting and my body was hungry. And so when I let it eat, it just gorged itself because it was the only time it was going to get food, but also because I was having a lot of really big, intense emotions that I didn't want to feel. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's just true. What made you go into mental health and intuitive eating and all and everything in your profession? What made you turn that direction? From a very young age, I always knew I wanted to be something in the helping professions. Um, When I was probably six, I was going to be a doctor and I was going to be a counselor and I was going to be an archaeologist all at the same time, different times during the year. I had very big plans for myself. Uh, Then I got to be an adult and I was like, that's way too much work. (laughs) So I settled on counseling because I just had felt like I had this natural knack ability to listen to people and help them feel heard and understood. And then going through my own disordered relationship with food and body and exercise, I really started to look more at like making this in a profession with eating disorders, both in the counseling and the coaching world. 
And then I found intuitive eating as I was trying to heal my own relationship with food. And that has been a godsend. Saved me from so many other fad diets. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can understand that. And I'll ask what that is. Um, in a second after we go over, I, I do want to go ask what emotional eating is. What, what exactly is that? Yeah. Well, I think so many people think that it's this big, like hairy, scary monster that we should run away from screaming, tearing our hair out, that we should never, ever, ever eat for emotional reasons. I remember when I had this like epiphany. Um, Martha, how often are you not feeling an emotion of any kind? <laughs> like hardly ever. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're sleeping or when right. you're unconscious. Right. So if we think about that, we're humans. We are emotional creatures. That's one of the things that sets us apart from some of the other mammals that we are similar to. We have sometimes very big emotions, and a lot of times they've been qualified as good or bad or positive or negative. And what we tend to pick up on is that we're eating when we're feeling those big, uncomfortable emotions like sadness, loneliness, anger, jealousy, boredom. That's when we tend to notice that we're reaching for the food. And then we forget that celebrating your kid's birthday and having a piece of cake is still emotional eating. Mm -hmm. And going out for your birthday with your girlfriends and having a glass of wine or having you know chips and salsa, still emotional eating. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that all eating is emotional eating, it took all of the pressure off of what I was doing. And it was just like, oh, well, this is just a thing I do. I don't have to feel bad about it. And then when I didn't have to feel bad about eating, I didn't want to eat as much. I didn't have that urge anymore. That's a really, really good point. It, it take, yeah, it takes it away. It's not a bad thing anymore. And, and sometimes we want to do a bad thing, but if it's not a bad thing, then okay. And yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. There was no guilt. There was no mm -hmm. shame. It was just like, oh, hey, I was just trying to soothe my nervous system. I was just trying to feel better. And then when I recognized that, I could also step back and go, okay, but this isn't really helping me feel better because now I have a stomach ache. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now I wake up and I've got, you know, two pounds of, of, of salt water weight gain or something, or I feel bad the next yeah. day. And yeah, just, and, and because of, uh, because of all that salt and inflammation, like we, our joints are stiff. Like it's harder to move. Mm -hmm. We just don't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. That really is. So if, if we've done an emotional eating binge, let's say, let's say if we've had, eaten a whole box of cookies, what can we do to recover from that? So it doesn't turn into a week long binge because sometimes that happens. Yes, it does. Because it, it's almost like we throw it in the effort bucket mm -hmm. of, yep. Well, you know, I've already eaten, for me, it was Oreos at the time. Well, I've already eaten an entire row of Oreos. I may as well eat the whole package over the next day yep. or two. Part of, like, the first step in getting over that and letting it be just a, a one-time thing rather than a one-time thing every day of the week is to be really gentle with yourself. 
acknowledge, hey, I was feeling something really uncomfortable or I was trying to not feel something really uncomfortable. And food is a really great coping skill because it works immediately. Like you take a bite, send the dopamine straight to the brain and your brain goes, it can relax. Your nervous system can relax. Your body can relax. So the first step is be gentle with yourself. Acknowledge that what you were trying to do was to feel better. And then check in with yourself. Am I feeling better? Did that work? Did that help? If the answer is yes, great. Good job. Way to take care of yourself. If the answer is no, okay, let's reevaluate here. Is food going to continue to help me to feel better? Or is there some other coping skill that I can use that will maybe work better? You know, a lot of the women that I work with and that I hear from, we get to about seven, eight, nine, ten o'clock at night. And that's when that urge to grab something sweet, grab something salty, eat lots of food really seems to kick in. Part of it, like I mentioned before, is because sometimes we haven't been nourishing our body all day. Mm. And so our body wants lots of energy, lots of nourishment. So we tend to overeat. That's also about the time where the world starts to get a little quiet. Mm -hmm. The house starts to get a little quiet. If you've got kids, the kids are usually winding down or in bed. The animals are starting to wind down. Partners are starting to wind down. And our brain is like, oh, hey, the world's quiet. Let me remind you of all of these things. Mm -hmm. And we get stuck in our head, which then produces all of these uncomfortable emotions. And we're looking for something to do to avoid feeling or to feel something else. Mm. Or it could also be that you're feeling a little bored. So you're looking for something to do because it's not quite time for bed. But you don't really want to do anything else because you don't really have the energy. So you reach for a snack. Only then the snack kind of sometimes turns into five snacks. Whereas what your body might have needed in that moment is to just go to bed. Even though it's not bedtime, just go to bed. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Okay, now we'll get into intuitive eating. And... I, I use for a personal experience, I lost over the last year 30 pounds. Um, I had, I had a hip replacement last year. And before that, I had gained some weight and I lost it all this year, partially through intuitive eating, but also because I, as an older person, it's really important for me to keep track of everything I eat because one little thing may have more calories than I think it does. And it really, really makes a difference for me. This is how I, I do it. This is, I like to do it this way. Um, I know what I eat. I know what, when I eat it and when I need to eat it. And I like to have things set in a routine. And once I get in the routine, I'm good. I have, I know. So I don't eat at night. I, I work in um, a clinic and a couple of days a week, I work 12 hour days. So if I eat, I eat, three of my meals at the clinic. Like if I eat at five or six at night at the clinic, I will come home and I won't eat anything because I'm fine. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry because I've eaten at the clinic. If I don't eat at that time, I'll come home after work and I'll eat. So I make sure I have something to eat there before I come home. And 
the routine of doing that and preparation and stuff keeps me going. So I'm not hungry. So, and, and it's all part of routine and knowing that, okay, if I do this ahead of time, if I plan ahead of time, then I will be okay at night. But if I don't plan ahead of time, then I'm going to mess myself up. So you really have to work hard to do this, but it's well worth it for me because it's, it's worked. Now, what to, to you, what is intuitive eating? Intuitive eating is this really great concept of listening to your body and what it needs rather than listening to some other outside air quotes expert or guru. So it's really getting in tune, intuitive, there's, you know, we're using those words with your body. What foods feel good when you eat them? How much feels good when you eat it? And what doesn't? For me, I know I've been lactose intolerant since I was five. But I also really like ice cream. So I know that if I want to enjoy some ice cream through intuitive eating, I can do that. And I've also learned where that threshold is of, okay, if I eat this much, I'm going to be on the toilet pretty much the next day, Mm. all day. That That's not fun, and that doesn't work with my lifestyle or my career, so I know I can still enjoy ice cream, and if I'm going to enjoy more ice cream than my body can handle, I'm going to have to pay the consequences for that. Mm, right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It, 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 I, think, I think I've gotten into that just from understanding how much, how many, how much I can eat and, and feel good and, and feel healthy. And keep losing weight without feeling hungry at all. And I know how much I, what if I feel overstuffed and I know that that's too much and I'm going to gain weight. So, it, but I do use a guide. I use an app called, and I don't have anything, any association with them or anything, but I, I, I pay to use a, an app called Lose It, which has helped me a lot just to keep myself in, in the guideline because I would not, I, I wouldn't, I would have no idea how much, how many nu- nutritious wise I'm getting without it, but I like to have that guide. It really helps me stay in control of what I'm eating. And it's, it's been a great, great help for me, but everybody has to find what works for them. And, right. and looking mm-hmm. at things like that, like lose it or any of the apps or trackers, if we look at those as tools mm-hmm. rather than like, and I'll be all, I have to track everything. I have to count all of my calories. I have to count all of my macros. Like if those things help you along your journey, great. They're tools. Right. Right. That's how I see everything as a tool. It's not an end all be all. It's, it's not life or death. It's a tool. And that's how I see everything as yeah. to help me on my way. And it, and it has helped. It's when I don't track things when I when I go off it that I mess up. <laughs> I realize that oh, okay, I've got to I I've got to I have to be mindful. That's the whole thing is to be mindful. When I'm not mindful. Um and life is full of, about being in the here and now, being available in in our lives right now. That's the that's the most important part, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because the past is already gone and the future hasn't happened yet. Exactly. Exactly. So I loved your 
your episode on willpower. What makes you de- dislike the use of willpower alone? Yeah, that was another one of those like mind blowing things when I sat down and thought about it and realized that, oh, this willpower thing is complete BS. And I have been buying into it for, I don't know, almost 40 years now. <laughs> and I don't even remember when this shift happened when I was like, yeah, I'm not sure I believe in this anymore. But I was sitting, you know, for a long time, I, I thought that I sucked at willpower. I thought that I have no willpower. I have no self-control that I, I just need to figure out how to get more of it. So I did a lot of research and what I found was that there's, there's kind of two different camps of people when it comes to willpower. There's the, the camp of people who think that willpower is this inf, this finite resource, meaning that once you use it, it's gone. So if you use all of your willpower in the beginning of the day, being air quotes good, um, getting your workout in, even though you don't want to uh, because you're tired from the night before or whatever the reason is, getting all your fruits and your veggies and your calories and doing all the things, saying no to all the donuts at work, doing all the things that you don't want to do, but doing them because you think you have to do them, that uses up your willpower. And so then by the end of the day, your willpower is gone. So when the house is quiet, you're reaching for the box of cookies again. Then there's the other side that think willpower is this infinite resource, that it's like a muscle and you can strengthen it. So the more you use it, the stronger you're going to be with it. So when I when I learned that, I was like, oh, great, I can do this. I'm going to say no to everything. Yay me, look at me growing this willpower muscle. What happened, though, was that I was saying no to things that I really wanted to do, like going out with my girlfriends or going for a walk, because I thought that I needed to say no more often to strengthen this muscle. Uh, in some regards, that was really good for some boundaries, because sometimes I tend to be a people pleaser and I will say yes and take on more than I can actually realistically handle. Uh, so it did help me practice saying no more often, but I was still really miserable and I still wasn't as healthy as I wanted to be, wasn't happy. And so I stepped back and I'm looking at these two different things. And it's like Henry Ford says, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And so willpower is this thing that if you think it's a finite resource in that you only have so much and what's it, when it's gone, it's gone until the, the clock start, starts over whenever that arbitrary time is, or if you think that it's this infinite resource and you can just get enough of it, it doesn't really matter what the right answer is because it's whatever you think it is. Yeah, it's true. Uh, what drives me crazy with the willpower thing is is you take the, the big thing now is fasting, right? And they don't take in, into consideration that you have to have a – you have to use your willpower for that. If you're not going to eat for 12 hours, you're going to be awfully, awfully hungry in that time. And how are you going to use willpower if you're not used to not eating? How are you going to not eat for 12 hours, <laughs> you know, or six or 24 or whatever, whatever amount of time it is? Uh, they don't, none of the, none of the 
pro-fasting people take that into consideration and say, well, you know, not eating is going to be really hard for you during this time. None of them ever say that. None of them ever, ever admit to that or bring that up or anything. They act like it's not a big deal. Nope. And it's your fault if you are feeling hungry in that period when you're not supposed to be eating. It's true. It's true. They do. And I, I don't get that. It's like, if you're going to, if you're going to say, okay, well, fast, you've got to take the downside that after, you know, six hours or 12 hours, people are going to be famished and they're going to feel really hungry or they're going to feel faint or they're going to feel sick or they're going to feel this or that. They are going to feel something and it's not going to be good. Okay, that's my little rant. That's okay. <laughs> um, well, and, and yes, Martha, I completely agree with that. And in, in like the same vein is this idea of accountability. And I, I hear willpower and accountability hand in hand so often in that I don't have enough willpower. So I need accountability. So I'm going to hire you so that I can tell you that I'm doing all the things that I said I'm going to do. But then I feel guilty when I don't have enough willpower. And then I have to report to you that I haven't done the things I said I was going to do. And I, I was right there in that position too. And then when I started to heal the relationship with food and exercise through intuitive eating and, and all of this other work that I did, I looked at it and I was like, hmm, the things that I really want to do, the things that are really in alignment with my lifestyle and my goals and my values they're really easy for me to do. I don't need a coach or an accountability buddy to report to. I just do them because I like doing them and they bring me joy and they get me closer to the goal that I'm working towards. I don't have to psych myself up for it. So if you're, if you're really struggling with that willpower thing or that I need accountability thing, just take a moment and look at it is this really in line with my goals and my values and my lifestyle? No judgment if it's not. Like, if it's not, let it go. If it is, okay, let's look at what's standing between you and the follow-through. We'll be right back. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Those are great questions. And you have to ask yourself that because we're all different. I mean, some people, you know, may have completely different answers than, than myself or your, or, or yourself. It's, yeah. it's all, we're all different. I, I think about, um, so back in 2019, I was training for a half marathon and it was my first half marathon. Um, I, depending on the day and depending on the training session, uh, I was really into it and I was really excited about it. And, then I wasn't. And I had to really look at, okay, why am I going through all this work? Why am I interested in this distance running thing when, you know, I've always, I've always been just fine with my short little runs and sprinting intervals. And the longest run race I had ever done before that was a 10K. And that was, that was just fine. Um, 
And it was really because my best friend said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a half marathon. You want to do it with me? And I went, okay. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily that I had any desire to run this half marathon at the end of October when it's kind of chilly in Iowa. I I was just like, hey, this is going to be a fun thing to do with my friend. And the training runs that I was doing where I was like, what in the world am I doing to myself? (laughs) Were the ones where I was running by myself. They were the ones where I was like, nope, this is my running schedule. I am scheduled to do a run today. I said I was going to do it at this time. I'm going to do it at this time, even though it's pouring rain out and I'm miserable. (laughs) We've all been there. Trust me. We've all asked that question. (laughs) (laughs) So when I let go of like the training plan and that I had to do it perfectly because, you know, hello, recovering perfectionist here. Mm. And I looked at, okay, why am I doing this? What's my motivation other than wanting to do this thing with Mary? What was because I had never run that far in my life? And being the chubby kid who hated running the mile in PE during middle school, I was, I was being her hero. I'd had it in my head that we were going to show everybody who made fun of us for running the turtles slower than turtles and molasses. And I was going to say, hey, look, look what I can do. I can set a goal. I can stick to it. And I can run 13 and plus miles. And when I identified that, the training plans got easier because I wasn't doing this for Mary. I wasn't doing this to keep up with Mary, who, by the way, was nine years younger than I am. That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) It was because Mm -hmm. I, I had something that I wanted to show that I could do for myself. Yes. And it didn't matter if I was the first one across the finish line, which there was no way that was ever going to happen. And it didn't matter if I was the last one across the finish line. What mattered when I was doing it for myself, because I wanted to show myself that running can be fun. Yeah. So how'd it go? Um, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the great question. Um, so I, you know, in very much perfectionist and very much planner mindset, I planned out all of my music and I had it timed down. So I knew I had a set of songs, um, that were like pacing me so that I knew that when I got to the end of that set, I should be on the next mile. So that was like, you know, 13, just over 13 little sets that I put together. And I used each set to honor somebody in my life who had passed away. So each mile I was running, I was running it for that person who could not run. Um, So I had my parents on there. I had my grandma who had just passed away earlier in the month. I had one of my friends who's in a wheelchair who can't run. She hadn't passed away, but she's in a wheelchair, so she can't run. So each mile, I was running for somebody who couldn't run themselves or couldn't run anymore. And that was really motivating, especially about the 10th mile. And the rest of the pack had kind of blown past me. uh, And I couldn't see them. I was kind of alone. I was like, what? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? I'm all alone out here. I know. I'll just call my husband. I'll just call my husband 
and he will meet me at the end of the trail or wherever I can get off the trail and he will pick me up and he'll take me to the car and nobody will know that I didn't finish the race. Oh, no, 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 no. So for the next mile, I repeated to myself, I will not call Brian. I will not call Brian. I will not call Brian. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't call Brian. I didn't have him come rescue me. I did complete the entire thing. I did finish second to last and I am okay with that. Good. Good for you. You finished. (laughs) That's, that's important. You finished. Good for you. Got your medal and everything, huh? Got my medal. Excellent. So it was the hot cider hustle. So Uh they had, they were serving hot cider and like um, caramel apples at the end. Uh, But since everybody else had already finished, they just had jugs of cider out. So I loaded my car up with jugs of cider. Awesome. (laughs) A score. (laughs) That's awesome though. That's great. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, that's very good. Hey, I have, I have finished last. I've, I'm usually a back of the pack runners because I'm slow, but as if you finish, that's all that matters. Yep. Awesome. Very, very good. So I wanted to ask you, what is a body image expert? Good question. So I consider myself a body image expert because I have done extensive training on body image, what leads to disordered thoughts about our body. And also, I've done a lot of research, education, and my own work on, I know kind of the trend right now is body positivity, but I like to put more of like a body respect or body acceptance into it because if you truly hate things about your body, it's a really hard jump to go to it's freaking fantastic. I love everything about my body. And there are days even now with all the work that I've done that there are parts of my body that I don't really like or that I'm not fond of or that sometimes just annoy me. Yeah, that's true. I I, I hear you there. You made uh, one of the episodes that I really liked was one that of how we see food because we're raised. Now, this hit home because of how I was raised. When I was in my 20s, and I would say 20s and early 30s, I was borderline anorexic. I'll say borderline because I there were times where I just wouldn't eat because I, I just wanted to be thinner than I was. And I was underweight and I wanted to be thinner and I and I would just go without eating. And I was never happy. I was angry, of course, because I was starving. Right. I, yeah. But I, I remember my mother used to say, my mother was a perfectionist. I was not. <clears throat> I probably I'm not because my mother was. My mother would say, uh, you know, you 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 haven't cleaned up, up your plate, but don't you want to look good for the boys, you know? <laughs> so it's like you're giving me a mixed signal here. What's going on, you know? <laughs> so I I was so confused at home because my mother was giving me this whole mixed signal about if you don't eat all your food, it's not good. But if you eat all your food, you're going to be too overweight. So you you don't know what, what to think. You know, you get yeah, all those these- mixed messages from our caregivers, those people that we really look up to, are really confusing. They really are. It's kind yeah. of, so they stick with us too. I mean, you might, you might be older, but I'm still thinking about what my mother used to say and all those things when you're a kid they stick with you so you got it you have to think past those and and go through that 
and uh work through it i would say and i and i did i'm i'm much happier now than i was ever was in my 20s um it takes a while it does and it takes some like awareness first and then it takes some like challenging of that of nope that's not how i want to think anymore um, so i like to think of it as if we very much simplify the brain and our beliefs and our perspectives, they become like ruts in the road. So the more we hear something, the deeper that groove in the road gets. And then suddenly it just feels like the truth. And then based off of what you were saying, Martha, you kind of have these two different truths in your head of the truth of like, I have to eat all the food on my plate because there are starving children in who knows where. And if I eat all the food on my plate, I'm going to get fat. I'm not going to be attractive. Those are very opposing beliefs, but they were both very much ingrained in your head from mom, from society. Like that, that's the message everywhere, even now. It's a little less depending on who you follow on social media, but it's still out there. So the more mom said those things to you, the deeper that rut got in your brain until suddenly it felt like, well, that's just the truth. Even though it's not. It's just an opinion. It's true. It's true. So now I, I look back at that going, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I remember hearing that. What do you want your listeners to get most out of your show? Another good question. Listeners, whether they're listening to the Emotional Eating Therapist show or this episode, I really, really want you to understand and believe. And I realize that, you know, like we were just talking about, Martha, that you might have a belief that's very strongly against this. But I really want to just open your eyes to this thing that emotional eating is not a bad thing. Eating is not a bad thing. In fact, if we don't eat, uh, we are no longer alive, and that's a very bad thing. So let's let go of the judgment of ourselves, of other people, of what we're eating, how we're eating, and let's slow down. Let's be in tune with what our body really wants, because on those days where you have longer, harder runs, you're probably going to need more nourishment because your body has spent a lot of its energy. So you might notice that on those days after a big hard run, you're wanting more carb-filled foods. That's okay. That's exactly what your body wants and needs. So yeah, oh yeah, we want to eat I want to eat everything in the house, that's for sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but no, I agree with you. I I like that attitude. And I I don't I I don't see anything unhealthy about that attitude. I th I think if if we can make friends with food and it, it, food is not the enemy n doesn't matter what kind of food none no food is the enemy and I, I really dislike this this thing now where some food is good and some food is bad and you can only eat this food and you can't eat this food I I don't like that because as, as soon as someone tells me I can't eat this food that's the food I want to eat Exactly Exactly. It's just like the the pink elephant. If you say, okay, Martha, don't think about a pink elephant for the rest of this podcast. All you can think about is that silly pink elephant, even though that that idea was never in your mind and you've 
you know, only yep. seeing illustrations of pink elephants. It's true. It's true. Oh, yeah. If someone tells me not to do something, that's the thing I want to do more than anything. Yeah. And <laughs> even if you don't have a rebellious bone in your body, people, like somebody tells you not to eat a food, subconsciously, that's exactly the thing that you're going to start craving. Yep. Absolutely. That, that's why all these food rules don't work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they may work at first, but sooner or later, I mean... That there's a reason why there's vegan bacon. Okay. Just saying. Uh-huh. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sabrina. You are amazing. And I love your, po- your podcast. And I think people should listen to emotional eating therapist show because it's really, really good and it should help everybody. And that was just the loudest motorcycle I've heard. Sorry. I, I have a very noisy street. Um, but yeah, and everybody should listen to your show and anyone, runners, non-runners, everyone can get all kinds of information out of that and, and really, really get some good, some good nutritional advice. And thank you very, very much. Thank you, Martha, for letting me come on and share all about emotional eating. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care and have a great day. Thanks. Thank you so much, Sabrina. That's Sabrina Rogers, and all her contact information will be on the website, MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. All right. Now, I want to remind you that next week is the annual Haunted Running Trails to celebrate Halloween. I love it. This year, it's Haunted Running Trails International. We're going to talk about five trails around the world that are supposedly haunted. It's going to be fun, and it's just a great, great time. I talk about the trails, and I talk about why they're supposedly haunted, their history, and why it would be fun to run, or maybe not fun, maybe scary, but I think it would be fun. (laughs) All right. I have been doing some running and dealing with my left hip, which just now started to bug me. So I'm going to go to the orthopedist this week and see what he has to say. And we're going to start planning for next year where I'm going to get my surgery on my left hip. If you've been following me and listening for a while, you know that I got my right hip done last year. In 2023, I'm going to get my left hip done. And then I'll be all done with that. And then I can just run like a normal person. <laughs> Oh, I'm tired of this, but I got to get it done. No sense putting it off anymore. So we're going to get everything started in the gears in motion for next year and get prepared for that. Seriously, there's no reason to put it off anymore. So I will talk about that later. And that is it for me. So everything's on the website, MarthaRunsTheWorld.com. If you want to email me, it's MarthaRunsTheWorld at gmail.com. And thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. And until next week, let's tie up our shoelaces and go for a run.